Economic globalization constitutes integration of national economies into the international economy through trade, direct foreign investment by corporations and multinationals, short-term capital flows, international flows of workers and humanity generally, and the flows of technology, phenomena defined and treated more fully below. Economic globalization is the favored target of many of the critics of globalization. It is distinct from other aspects of globalization, such as cultural globalization, which is affected, as I shall discuss in Chapter 9, by economic globalization, and communications, which is among the factors that cause the deepening of economic globalization. Why are the critics of globalization agitated? What bothers them? There are two main groups that need to be distinguished, and I shall develop this distinction and build systematically on it below. First, there is a multitude of hardcore protesters who have deep-seated antipathy to globalization. They come from different intellectual and ideological directions and do not all share the same ideas and sentiments. But many buy into a linked trilogy of discontents that take the form successively of an ethos composed of an anti-capitalist, anti-globalization, and acute anti-corporation mindset. These views are interlinked because globalization is seen as the extension of capitalism throughout the world, whereas multinational corporations are seen as the B-52s of capitalism and its global reach. Beyond understanding where their discontents come from, as I do presently, there is little that one can do to enter into a dialogue with them. Second, however, there are the critics of globalization whose discontents are well within the parameters of mainstream dissent and discourse. In their essence, these discontents translate into the arguments that economic globalization is the cause of several social ills today, such as poverty in poor countries and deterioration of the environment worldwide. These critiques, which amount in my view to a gigantic non-sequitur, are of a very different order from the hardcore criticisms which reflect implacable hostility to globalization. The former are susceptible to, indeed invite, reasoned engagement. These critiques need an extended and careful response. I provide that in several chapters in Part 2 by demonstrating that, in fact, the various social causes that we all embrace, such as advancement of gender equality and reduction of poverty, are advanced, not set back, by globalization. Am I leaving the prince out of Hamlet by not giving center stage to the critiques of international institutions such as the World Bank, which concerns itself with development, the International Monetary Fund, dealing with stabilization of economies in the grip of financial crisis, the World Trade Organization, which oversees the world trading system and its progressive liberalization, bilateral aid agencies such as the U.S. Agency for International Development, and trade treaties such as the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA? These institutions have often been targeted at their annual meetings by demonstrators who object to their conditionalities for assistance or their ambition to liberalize trade, depending on the institution being attacked. But these demonstrations are mainly a clever guerrilla tactic, as I argue later. With thousands of newspaper and television reporters present, Violence and ingenuity in street theater make a splash around the world. The specific critiques are what need to be addressed, rather than sweeping condemnations. These I do take seriously and examine fully at different places in the book as they relate to areas of concern, such as in Chapter 7, when I consider the complaint of some women's groups that International Monetary Fund, IMF, conditionalities have harmed women. I also consider, in appropriate places throughout the book, 
the charge that globalization is a result of the iron fist of conditionality, i.e. preconditions for getting aid or trade opportunities, wielded by bilateral and multilateral aid agencies. Whether the conditionalities are effective and binding, as the critics believe, or are loose and often evaded, as I argue, and whether trade liberalization is forced by these institutions, as is alleged, or is often embraced by nations because they believe it is good for them to abandon costly protectionism, as I contend, are matters that I deal with, particularly in chapters 16 and 18.